it just damaged my confidence to the point where I was like, people don't want to listen to me or like look at me because of what was going on with my skin. And it seems so silly, but that was genuinely what I would say to myself. I'd be like, they don't want to hear from you. They don't want to even like look at you with that skin. Oh my God, I'm getting upset. <laughs> oh. You're listening to the England Rugby Podcast, O2 Inside Line, and I'm Holly Aitchison. I'm Holly Aitchison and I play for Bristol Bears and England. I play at fly half or sometimes centre. I am the person that bosses everyone around shyly and I do a bit of kicking. I would describe a good fly half as a world-class kicker out of hand and potentially off the tee. The people that I like to watch play really flat to the line, someone like George Ford maybe. I think that my parents probably described me really differently to what I was like in like a school environment. So I think my dad would probably say I'm really like stroppy. <laughs> they probably align with like I'm quite quiet at times, but probably a bit more outgoing at home. In comparison to at school, I was definitely more like quiet, reserved, um, definitely more introverted. I grew up in Formby. People describe Formby as like a bubble, essentially. So it's like small town, village vibes. It's close to the sea. It's just north of Liverpool. So like in and around Liverpool, it's just cool city. I think Liverpool, like, <laughs> you, you say from Liverpool and people are a bit like, hmm? <laughs> and I think, I think I kind of take that with like a pinch of salt because I think if you know Liverpool, you'll know it's like a great city and like culturally it's like unreal. And if you're from Liverpool, you kind of get it. But if you're not, you probably wouldn't know. And I think a lot of, obviously, my home life was in Liverpool, growing up in and around Liverpool, that's really important. Football is something that I'm, like, quite linked to. My family all support Liverpool. My dad has a season ticket at Liverpool. It's a big part of where I grew up. And even though we weren't from the centre of Liverpool, we were just in and around it. I think that shows, like, how big of a culture it is to have spread that far. My first memory would actually probably be not playing, but sitting on the side of the pitch. So my dad was DOR at Waterloo. So like as early as I could remember, I would have been at the game. And I just remember being like on his shoulders if we were like watching another team. He was always in the box and I would be with my mum in the stands and I'd be like watching from the sidelines and like going down to the training of the first team and stuff and wanting to join in even when I was like three. And then my first experience of playing was at Waterloo with my brother who pretended that he was older than he was and my dad just kind of shoved us both in and he was like go on go and have a go I think I must have been like five five or six there was a girl in the age group above me called Emma Dryden and I remember her so well obviously because of like the girl link but apart from that there was like no one so I just went along and tried to be besties with her <laughs> to be like girl, girl crew and yeah like literally loved it from then I think it was just kind of like natural. I played a load of sports in school and then I was like lucky enough to do like county stuff with a, a load of sports as well. So I didn't really like think about it too deeply, I think, until I got to about 16 and we were talking about where we we're going to do college. And obviously Hartbury was a really big thing at the time. The best place for women's rugby where all of the next gen of like England girls would come out of it was always Hartbury. So like if you were kind of good enough and you went to the trials and got in, that was the place if you could get in that you should really go. And I was kind of shy. So I was like, oh, I don't really know if I want to live away from home and like do all of that kind of thing. I don't know if I'm ready. I said like Formby's a bubble. I didn't really want to leave the bubble. I was very comfortable in the bubble. 
And my dad really pushed me. Once I'd said that I was going to do it, he was like, okay, let's actually do it. Because I often say things and then probably don't have the courage to do it. <laughs> I made that decision quite late on, didn't go to the trials in the end because I was just being me and being kind of, yeah, a bit flimsy about it. And um, yeah, I ended up getting in. They took me late. And yeah, I just went from there. I was my happiest when I was playing rugby. And I think I did love other sports, but I probably wasn't as outstanding when I was younger. Like I stood out a lot. In, on a rugby pitch whereas I probably didn't like I was good but I wasn't that good do you know what I mean <laughs> I think if I hadn't done heartbreak I definitely wouldn't have been sat here either Ian William Aitchison father she was dead easy as a child to be honest we never had any trouble with her sailed through school loved the sport which was ideal for me and her mom because we both love our sport in terms of if you see her in a friendship group she'd be perhaps come across as one of the quieter ones but certainly when she gets onto a pitch she becomes much more of a leader of things that are going on on the pitch because she's got a good rugby brain understands tactics and is a good communicator she has been around rugby for most of her life she also has played a lot of different sports. In fact, yeah. I probably think that she could have been a better footballer than a rugby player. And she certainly played that at a high standard with opportunities to play for Liverpool and Everton being offered to her. But she was always quite clear in her head she wanted to be a rugby player. I'm immensely proud of her. Not just as a rugby player, but as a person. Yeah, I think she's a good person. She forms really strong friendships so I think she's got all the right values and yeah obviously if you've got uh, a child that has come right the way through that you've spent a lot of time with watching and nurturing at different stages to see her play on the biggest stage for women is fantastic and I still haven't managed I think she's got she's got over 20 caps now I still haven't managed to get through a national anthem without crying a little bit I've known Sarah Beckett, I would say, five or six years old when I went down to Waterloo. And obviously our families are really quite interlinked. Our dads used to play together as well. So, yeah, she's been someone that's really consistent throughout my whole journey from school, club, divisional to, like, country now. So, yeah, she's someone that I is really special to me as a person. And also, like, our families are really close, so that's cute. I actually get so, like, <laughs> oh, I feel so proud of her. Like, it feels, when I look back on it, so quick... And although we kind of parted when I went and played a bit of sevens, obviously S was there the whole time from like six, seven years old, playing at Waterloo. But yeah, it was like a, a comfort blanket of someone that had been there since like the very start. And I think someone that knows exactly where you're from, like went to the same school and just has your back in everything that we kind of went through, whether that was like county, divisional, she was always my like consistent person that I would like lean on. And I think we went through a lot of teenage years, like growing up where you want someone to be there with you. She was always in school and rugby and other sports teams together. So yeah, it's just nice to have someone to look back on that has been there through literally every single step of the way. She's got support in her shoulder. She knows it's there. She does a pass. She finishes. I'm Sarah Beckett. I played for Gloucester Hartbury in England. 
Holly Aitchison, yeah, I grew up with Holly Aitchison, so I know her quite well. Um, we played through all age groups together. She's very quiet, if you don't know her. She's, she's very reserved, she likes her own space, but she's actually very funny. She is quietly very competitive and likes to be good at everything, which she is, which is very annoying for me as a child growing up <laughs> because she always used to beat me at everything. It's been a pleasure for me to really see her grow into the role that she's in at the moment. She really found her voice as a leader and grew into that role. And I think she's she's very hard to track down as well. She can step anybody and she's quick as you like and she can pick a hole for anybody to run through. So her ball playing ability is unreal. I'm Ellie Kildon and I play currently with Harlequins and the Red Roses. Holly is, we're really close, we, we go way, way back and she's somebody that I trust so much. It's really special to have a friendship like that on pitch. She is so well-rounded. You don't know if she's going to pass, kick, step you, probably going to do all at the same time. Her ability to see the space and put other people in the space is probably one of the best that I've ever played with. She is so, yeah, somebody that will create holes and take holes, so you've got to be careful of her and definitely someone that is progressing in the 10 shirt massively. I'm just looking forward to seeing where she can take it, it's exciting. Backwards and that's okay. Oh, and Aitchison, oh, she goes, sells the dummy up the river, over its way to And Aitchison is going to score for England. Playing for England is obviously the end goal. And I think, although I'd that had kind of come about quite quickly, I think every environment that I went into. With my personality being quite reserved, I wouldn't have spoken much, so you probably thought that I was fine. But I think there's definitely an element of like, every time I went into a, a new room, that was a really big moment for me. And I kind of have a, a lot of anxiety in general. It all happened probably from 13, 14, when you start getting into like talent development group, which was essentially England at the time. And I think because S was always there with me, and she went to everything with me. So like she was always, obviously she's naturally one of the best players in the country. So she would always get selected as well. So it was quite casual. Like I always had my bestie there. As we came through, we both, I think we'll both probably say that our dads were massively influential. So like when we played at Waterloo, West Park, they both did a lot of coaching. Um, they're quite similar personalities. I'd say they're both quite demanding. So I'd say they're probably definitely influential for both of us. But I'd say a natural like go-to would be Miss Burns. And I do still call her Miss Burns as a respect thing. <laughs> but yeah, she was our secondary school teacher and our head of house. She was massively influential from, you know, talking about what was normal and like how things should be done. Like she was always a role model and someone that was the consistent through high school that kind of managed any outside comments or anything that we would get. She always had been through something like that already herself. And she was always someone that you could go to and just chat as if she was a friend rather than a, a school teacher. Aitchison straightens things off. That is a classy finish from Holly Aitchison. What balance. My name's Jill Burns. My relationship to Holly is that I was uh, privileged to be not only her school PE teacher, but also her head of house. She was in my house at Range High School. It was lovely to, to work with Holly all the way through her secondary school years. 
The first time I met Holly, she'd have been a little baby. Lovely smiley face. Actually just grew into the most outstanding sportswoman. I can remember watching her as a mini um, in this little team, just Holly on her own with a group of boys, and she stood out. I saw her scoring tries almost at will, and for a, a small child to have a sidestep like she had was absolutely amazing. I can remember when Holly first came to, to Range High School. She was really excited to know that we had girls rugby and she couldn't wait to play. And she was just full of enthusiasm and uh, being a PE teacher as well. What a talented all-round sportswoman she is. She could have chosen any sport and taken it to the very highest level. But um, as soon as she started at Range, it was apparent that she was going to do great things. And I... Uh, said to Nikki Consford, who was then the head of performance at England Rugby, I said, I've got an 11-year-old who will play for England one day. She's always been an absolute winner, an absolute competitor. And that mentality has served her very well because if things go wrong, she works on making it better. She's always very thankful to the people who've just done little bits for her along the way. And I think each of us who've been involved in a small part in that journey are very proud of what she's done by putting all that support together and building into an absolutely world-class player that she is today. The women's game has gone from strength to strength and to see Holly involved playing in this world-class team, playing absolutely fantastic rugby, I'm very, very proud of her. She's just fantastic. And, and the, th the good thing about Holly is I know she's on a launch pad. She's only going to get better and better because that's just the sort of person she is. So I'm absolutely delighted to see her when she's picked. I'm delighted to see the way she plays. I look forward to the next two or three years when I'm sure it's going to get even better and better. When I was like 16, 17, I started noticing a lot of spots on my face that were probably a bit different because I had like excessive acne. So when I first moved away from home, I think that was a massive trigger for me. It's kind of coupled a little bit with the anxiety stuff where I really struggle in social situations and like transitioning as like most people do. So when I was going from Hartbury was a, a massive move for someone like me. And I would say that was probably the earliest onset that I can remember. And it, yeah, just progressively got worse. It was a pretty detrimental age, I think, to have it when like you're starting to like get a bit of freedom and like go out with your friends and that probably wasn't something that I was doing purely because of my skin. When I think about the intertwining with like the social stuff I wonder if it was a lot more linked than perhaps I thought about when I was a bit younger. I had a pretty dark period and I know that sounds silly to say about skin but I think until you've had issues with your skin you don't really understand how it affects you. When I was in the Sevens programme, I lived with Ellie Kildun and Jess Breach, who were close friends. And I would come downstairs and most people would like, after training, you know, you wash your face, you get into your pyjamas, casual. And I literally just wouldn't do that because I was so embarrassed of like my skin. So like I'd leave my makeup on as long as I could. Even though if I, my two of my closest friends, I would literally stay in my makeup as long as I could. When I would have a shower, I would then come down with like my hood up. And I would like pull the toggle up so you couldn't see my face. Jess would say to me all the time, what are you doing? <laughs> but I can't explain the embarrassment of it until you have it on your face. I'm like, I couldn't think that people weren't staring at me, even if they were really close friends. And I, I know that there wouldn't be any malice or like ill intent there. It was like a, a me thing and like in my own head. Day to day, I would leave my makeup on forever. And obviously that makes it 10 times worse. So it wasn't ideal. But yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't catch me dead without makeup. There would be no way. It's been something that I've struggled with and something that now, thankfully, I've like gotten over um, and we found some, a load of solutions thanks to like Clinique, seeing a dermatologist through them, which now like I can sit here and say I've got clear skin and I've genuinely never been happier with it.
I think it just made me really shy. So like I'm already naturally quite reserved, but I think it just damaged my confidence to the point where I was like, oh, people probably don't, and it sounds so silly when I think about it now. I would genuinely think people don't want to listen to me or like look at me because of what was going on with my skin. And it seems so silly, but that was genuinely what I would say to myself. I'd be like, they don't want to hear from you. They don't want to even like look at you with that skin. Oh my God, I'm getting upset. <laughs> oh. I think also I definitely didn't accept that what I was doing was also really not good in the way that I was dealing with it. So like I didn't really go to a doctor or like want to talk to anyone about it. So I think I didn't realise how bad what I was doing or how I was feeling was until I kind of came out the other side. And when I had clear skin, the confidence that it gave me in like a room full of people was just honestly immeasurable. I don't think I would be sat here even now doing like a podcast if I still had the skin that I had, but also in a rugby context as well. Like I don't think I would have been able to speak in front of people. That was a big barrier for me. So yeah, I think just the confidence that it's given me is just a world apart to where I was. I think for Clinique to have come to me, I was just kind of like in awe. Because first of all, from like a marketing point of view, like not many companies are like in women's sport right now. So I was like, first of all, that you're coming into women's sport, whether that be with me or anyone else, I was kind of in awe of them of like, yes, we're, we're getting the kind of commercial value out of it. On top of that, when they kind of wanted to work with me, I was like, wow, everything that was bad about the skin and everything that I felt about myself, all the negative stuff was kind of worth it for the moment that, okay, we can actually have a really positive influence on little girls' lives that might have gone through something that was really similar. But I was at a point where I was confident enough to talk about it, which I definitely wasn't for years prior to that. It was honestly the most like surreal moment being asked to do something like that. I think the moment of like someone's actually paid attention and listened to my story, because I did a little bit on Instagram where I'd spoken about it. I felt comfortable enough to speak about it on Instagram. I find that a bit easier because it's through a screen and I don't have to stand up in front of people and everyone look at me. And I actually had a really large number of people message me and be like, oh my God, I have all of these problems too. Thought nothing of it, just thought about sharing it. And I had so many people that came and like told me about their stories. And I just felt like I could relate to so many more people when I'd actually shared about it instead of, yeah, just trying to hide it, to be honest. <laughs> I think it just makes me feel like, I know it's such a simple word, but like happy. Like I feel happy in myself. I feel more confident, more empowered. Like obviously those are words that you kind of get as well the biggest thing for me was just being able to be happy in like day to day and it seems like the mundane things of like going to the shop without makeup on doing things that are so simple but I really struggle with not being able to do so yeah I think just like the happiness of being almost like normal again because I saw myself as really not normal for a long time <laughs> I love Instagram, I love TikTok. I think it's a really cool way to like connect with people. And I think, especially for someone like me, I really struggle in like a big group of people. Like I won't be the first person to chew your ear off about what I'm doing or what I'm into. I would much rather like be on my own or a smaller group of people and learn a bit more about it. It's a really easy way to connect with the masses. And I think like you get to know a bit more of me. Like it's a really easy way for people to like connect with you through the things that you share so yeah I love it I think it's way more easy for someone like me to open up and just put things out 
in like a bite-sized way of being able to see what I'm into and what I'm doing rather than having to really connect like properly with people and like stand up in front of a room full of people or like network or do something quite intense. I think the first time I would have thought about being socially anxious would have probably been in school but I always look back on like my secondary well all of my school experience as being really positive and I don't think it hindered me in any way. I saw it more as like I was a perfectionist. I wouldn't want to put my hand up in class because if I didn't know the answer I would feel stupid. I saw it kind of like that whereas when I then transitioned to college and you go into different classrooms where they, they haven't known you since you were six and you actually have to give a bit more in like the nicest way. I think that's when I first noticed that I was really anxious. Maybe people didn't get the same feelings. You can say you're maybe a bit nervous, but like I was anxious to the point where I wouldn't want to go and I wouldn't want to come up my room or like go to a social event. It wasn't a nervousness. It was like, oh, I actually can't do it. And I couldn't force myself to do it. And even like when I was making, because I find it easier to make friends like one-on-one. -on -one. Even if I would have some of my really solid friends there, it wasn't, it still wasn't comfortable for me. And I think that was probably the point where I was like, oh, maybe that's not actually that normal to have these feelings. And like, also even physical triggers of like, my palms are, even now, <laughs> like my palms are really sweaty. Or like I sweat those because obviously I'm stressed about like the smallest thing. It's things that people like saying hi to people or I can do that. And it seems to me now like I can do that and interact with people, but it's things that I would actively avoid. And that was where I kind of saw a new group of people and was like, these people don't struggle with that. But I really struggle with these small things. And that was when I was like, okay, maybe that's not the norm. I think rugby helped to give me almost like a second person. Who I am off pitch is really different to who I am on pitch. And on pitch, I'm really, I'm probably like outspoken. I'm outgoing. I can make decisions really quickly. I can shout at people and I would never, ever do that off pitch. Like it's so, it's actually quite strange, but I think I got like a, almost like a split kind of person, but I was really good at rugby and I was confident on pitch. So it was easier to kind of go into that. Whereas off pitch, when I'm, I wouldn't say that I'm not confident. I just don't really put myself in those situations. Whereas rugby, you're forced into it. Like it's, that's just the game. And I, I loved, like we've spoken about, like I love rugby, so I, I'll just do it. Whereas off pitch, it's an option. <laughs> so I will opt out. <laughs>